Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. On July 1st, the minimum wage in Chicago rose from $11 an hour to $12 an hour by law. And if wages offered were the only factor in the quality of life, it might mean many people were just a little bit better off. But the numbers suggest that little pay boost is not likely to help families that are struggling and things are not getting better for as many people as local leaders would hope. This weekend, we're going to look at who's getting left behind as the metropolitan area grows and what the rest of us need to do about it for all our sakes. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Every week, it seems, we hear about companies that are moving to the Chicago area or expanding their operations, and the word you keep hearing is jobs. More of them and better ones. You might be surprised about how many people are being left out of the loop, sometimes quite literally, by such opportunities. This is no surprise to my guest this weekend. Mary Sue Barrett is the president of the Metropolitan Planning Council, which keeps an eye on today's planning and development challenges for the region and tries to look ahead to prepare for the future. Ms. Barrett is an expert in designing solutions and bringing governments, business, and communities together to do the work. She's been successful in government and out. She was a chief of policy for Richard M. Daley when he was mayor of Chicago. She helped launch community policing in the city and was part of the team that got the 1996 Democratic National Convention to come to Chicago. How well regarded is she? She led transition committees for both Democratic Mayor Rahm Emanuel and Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. I also like to uh, to tease that uh, uh, Mary Sue not only speaks planner, which she does very well, but that's a language all uh, all its own. But she also speaks English, so she is bilingual. Mary Sue, welcome back. Thank you, Craig. Delighted <laughs> to be here. Um, let's start with the headlines that people keep seeing. Jobs are coming to downtown Chicago in significant numbers, but uh, the Metropolitan Planning Council's own analysis shows there's kind of a good news, bad news situation, isn't there? That's exactly right, as with most most things <laughs> yeah. in our city and region. It's complicated. So that's why we're, gl- we're glad to have chances like this to talk talk it through and, and really focus on solutions. Between 20 th- 2000 and 2015, based on data from Census Bureau as well as MIT, we looked at the tremendously positive story of jobs being added to the, both the traditional area downtown and then just immediately uh, near north and near west where there's a, just a huge cluster of jobs. And in, the, in that five-year time frame, we saw that jobs um, increased to 715,000 in those three clusters of areas. That's growth of 65,000 more jobs. Terrific. Let's celebrate that. And we all see the cranes. We see the bustle. We know certain sectors like tech are, are taking off. But when we looked at where the workers came from, that's where the MIT data was really useful, we were able to see in traditionally African-American neighborhoods of the city on the south and west sides that those communities' residents were not benefiting to the, to the same extent as other areas. So the, the workforce in the central area had become 
uh, as it was growing, it's becoming more white. Um, and those on-ramps to success for all neighborhoods might be, you know, m- might have some potholes. And, and we need to look at how do people get to work, what kind of training do people have, what kind of educational requirements, and uh, celebrate the successes, but acknowledge it's not working for everyone. So, so what is it that's going on that's creating this dynamic? Is it that the, uh, uh, you know, even as the jobs are increasing, is it a, a racially based problem? Is it about the skills that are required for these jobs? I think there's a, a such a close nexus between race and poverty and uh, lack of opportunity historically that we need to triple our efforts, not just double our efforts, uh, in order to give people uh, an equal chance. If you look at another of the of the shining shining uh, successes of Chicago, it's that we have more residents with college degrees than any other place in the country. That's just huge. As you think about the jobs downtown, many more of them require that than they might have decades and decades ago. So uh, residents of traditionally African-American communities have traditionally been um, uh, strongly represented in healthcare and social service, but those are not the jobs that are growing in the central area. They may be growing in other places, uh, but jobs that require a college degree, if, if there's fewer people with, with access to that kind of opportunity, um, then you're going to see that kind of disconnect. So we, again, have this, this two sides of the story where uh, college degrees in uh, uh, residents with college degrees in Chicago is a success. But if you don't have that, if you just have a high school degree, you actually have the poorest job prospects of any of the top 10 places in the country. Hmm. Um, the city has been making efforts to make getting a college degree uh, easier and cheaper uh, for students, uh, both uh, mostly within the city college system, but also with some help from the uh, private universities. Um, are there adjustments that have to be made for the types of degrees that people are pursuing now? I mean, are people do people need to be steered? Uh, steer is the wrong word, but but encouraged to uh, to go into different types of careers and being told, hey, uh, healthcare, great, but if you want to make the real money, this is the way to go. Absolutely. Our our incoming talent pipeline needs that kind of guidance, and there are many, many strong workforce institutions out there doing this work. The challenge is we're not always putting the pieces together um, in, the, in the smartest and best way. So um, let me take your question and, and step two steps back. Uh, in spring 2017, we released some data about the cost of segregation to the region. Staggering costs, one of those findings was that there were 83,000 fewer bachelor's degrees in our region than if we were just average for economic and racial segregation. So we looked at places like Atlanta and Raleigh-Durham. We looked at places like Houston that were right at that average median point for segregation and compared how they were doing with college degree attainment. So if we looked at extrapolating that success to Chicago, if we get there, 83,000 more people would have bachelor's degrees. And that's, that's huge. I see many institutions committing themselves to that. So when we released the follow-up to the cost of segregation study just this past spring, we put out a roadmap of recommendations. Among the things we highlighted were some really promising things that were happening. For example, the City College's partnership with Aon, 
and with Accenture, with Allstate and other companies where they they looked at a number of entry-level positions which had a requirement for a college degree and asked themselves, is that really a requirement to do the work that we need this uh, this uh, worker, future employer employee to do? And they eliminated it in a number of cases. So Anne talks about working with the city colleges to bring on 50 workers last year, 150 this year, and 400 next year. And they are finding that these are the most, within this partnership with the city colleges, most committed, most productive, um, most ready to work employees. And so they're really successful. That's what we call applying a racial equity framework to every organization. So if an employer doesn't think that they're, they're discriminating, they may not be explicitly. But if the outcome is, is that your workforce is not representative of the city and the region's diversity, then you have to take a, a close look at those requirements and change them. Uh, our, the diversity of the area, though, is, is changing a bit. Um, African-American uh, residents have been leaving the city, uh, sometimes because of lack of opportunities, uh, I think sometimes because of issues like crime. Uh, how is that playing into the balance that people are trying to keep here? We are an organism that's always evolving, right? A, a city is is a um, an ever changing entity, and that that's a that's a positive thing. We we have a very diverse economy. We have a very diverse population. We have all these cultural and natural assets, and we're putting them to work in different ways. Um, for example, the Metropolitan Planning Council works on enlivening our riverfronts because they used to be home of industry, and some of that's changing. So it's not just um, our our population, but our our physical city is changing. That is uh, disquieting and and disorienting for a lot of folks. But yes, the city is becoming far more Latino, um, and we have seen an exodus of a half a million. African-Americans since its peak point many decades ago. And that is a, a, a ma- major change. We see it in loss of both middle-income African-American and we see it in loss of lower-income African-Americans. We have to ask, why are people going to Texas? Why are people going to Indianapolis and other places? Um, because of greater job growth and opportunity. That says to me that we all need to um, take those promising policies, that's what our roadmap lays out, and work together in a much more effective way to say, uh, if the job growth is is one of our success stories, how can we make sure more people participate? If we need to train more people for these industries, what kind of partnerships have been missing, um, for example, in sustainability, green sectors, the water industry is a, is a huge strength here, and it might be a, a growing sector. Are we training enough people for those new technologies? new kinds of jobs. Uh, I want to ask another about another um, trend here that uh, is more of a just a thing that I've personally noticed. Lately, when we've had a number of companies coming to the downtown Chicago area, they have been coming from Chicago suburbs. Um, when Rich Daly was the mayor, they, the the uh, alliance of lo- suburban and you know municipal leaders was a strong one, and it was we're all in this together. And as long as this the 
jobs get to the Chicago area, we're happy. But lately, uh, you know, I can think of at least two companies uh, moving that have been at the expense of Oak Brook. Uh, Some of them have been uh, from the north suburbs. Is that cannibalizing, you know, some of the, the, the growth that we would see in the area? Is, is this kind of like a net-net uh, mm-hmm. where nothing's really changing? Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a really important question, Craig. And as a regional civic organization, it's one we care about quite a bit. But uh, we are overall adding jobs in the city of Chicago. We are not growing as dynamically as other places as a state, city, and region as we should. So we can have successes uh, with job growth in the central area, but if we have dramatic population loss in other parts of both the city and statewide, then it's going to be very hard to pay for our future needs. Another issue we work on is investing in our transportation infrastructure. Huge strength. It detracts a lot of companies. It's why they're here. But if we neglect it, uh, we obviously are are not going to be able to sustain our quality of life. So if you have a declining population, and if you're just moving jobs around, then it's very hard to pay for the, for the basics. As we take a metropolitan view, um, many companies are wanting to be downtown because of talent. It's where their workers need and want to be. So even if a company's not relocating, um, you know, a company like Walgreens has people working downtown, their technology and other, other talent because that's where people want to be. The Merchandise Mart is filled with companies that have either changed their headquarters um, or brought a division downtown. The redevelopment of the post office, for example, um, and the future of Union Station might be similar stories. The West Loop is, is certainly. And so we do have to be concerned about our job centers all around the region and make sure that even as companies are following their talent to the central area, what's the future of uh, the former McDonald's site in Oak Brook and other, uh, other key situated uh, locations. And, and so that's, that's the evolving region. That's, that's what we want to make sure that we invest in transportation, we invest in housing solutions everywhere, we invest in um, our water systems so that places like uh, Joliet and Aurora, which are larger population centers in Waukegan and a lot of communities in between, can succeed. If they have transit, if they have um, strong educational institutions, they've got the building blocks. And now they have to reinvent and and we work with them on, on figuring out that future. Is that something that really needs coordination? And are you seeing that to the degree that we used to see it? The Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus was created in the late 90s. Um, and our governmental counterpart, which is called the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, was restructured around the same time. And that means we today have much stronger institutions that we didn't have two decades ago. When I was in government at the start of the Daly administration, these entities didn't exist, but they were created. Um, so that, that's, that's a strength. But as we look at our global competition, not just U.S. cities, but cities around the globe, they really work as metropolitan regions. You know how many, how many um, what, what percentage of the state's economy is based here in this region? I, I would expect more than half. 80%. Wow. And yet we don't get that kind of attention. If we acted collectively, city and su- suburbs, in Springfield, 80% of the, of the 
the state reps and state senators, we could get a lot done. We sometimes fail to do that. Next week, Tuesday, we're having a um, a live cast of an event featuring all four of the region's transit leaders. So the head of the RTA, Metra, PACE, and CTA. And I think the reason why we sold out that event immediately, and there's such interest in, in tuning in, you can... Um, uh, we'd welcome any of your listeners to join us at metroplanning.org next Tuesday, the 31st at noon, is because we're all recognizing that if we don't do this, if we don't get our transit network uh, functioning w- better, if we don't figure out the last mile, suburb to suburb commute, um, those transit lines that are not serving people well, if we don't fix a lot of those problems, we're not going to succeed together. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and my guest is Mary Sue Barrett, president of the Metropolitan Planning Council. And uh, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, about transportation because I think sometimes people don't see it as as uh, a, an important link, except that it is the link for everything. Uh, you know, if you can't, aff- it's about housing. It's about uh, the jobs, it's about education. If you can't afford to live near the job that you have, the transportation is, is, is it. I mean, how, what is happening to our transportation system right now? Is it making the changes that it needs to make? We've really been underinvesting in it. And one of the things that surprises a lot of folks is that the, the basic costs um, that a worker needs to cover, a family needs to cover, is first housing, but transportation has crept up to number two, and then food. So when those costs become uh, extraordinary because you can't have an easy commute by transit, um, that you have to get a, another car, or that you're spending more on, on those, those costs like insurance, that can, that can break someone's um, family budget. And we did an analysis of what a living wage is in metropolitan Chicago on the heels of the the minimum wage being increased on July 1st. Now, the minimum wage is very important for temporary workers, for, um, for folks who are using it as a part-time basis, but I think everyone acknowledges that you can't support a family making a minimum wage. What is the definition of, of what's necessary to support a family? That's what people call a living wage. So that's those basics. It's not any any extras. It's not about you know, taking a vacation to an exotic place, it's covering the basics. And we found that about half of the residents of metropolitan Chicago, um, 53% in the city, and uh, almost 50% if we take the region as a whole, do not make that living wage. So every week, every month, they're having to make these extraordinarily tough choices about, do I, you know, do I pay that bill or do I pay this bill? Because I can't do both. So transportation feeds right into that. We're in the midst of collecting stories and videos that we call the hashtag busted commute campaign. And the reason why we're collecting stories of people's hassles on their daily commutes is because we heard from legislators that they were not hearing enough from their constituents, both businesses and and residents. So we all have got those stories and we're inviting people to tweet or email to us um, their busted commute hassles, and we will put those together and advocate on your behalf in Springfield this fall and into next year. We have to invest as a state. Others are doing that. They're modernizing. They're, they're fixing um, uh, slow spots. They're giving people more choices. 
when you think about uh, how jobs and the pattern of commuting and living has changed, well, our transportation system has to evolve too. But we we have, uh, it's been decades since we've had a, a sustainable revenue source, and that's the tough debate. It's playing out during our governor's race. It'll play out uh, with state reps and state senators' races. And I think if we send a, a unifying message that we expect our our elected officials to invest in the basics, and one of those is a great transportation network. Yeah, I, I give credit where credit is due. I know when the uh, Chicago Tribune did its story on on that kind of problem, and frankly on the area segregation, it uh, started with a, a, a man who uh, starts on the south side of, uh, of, of Chicago and has to go downtown to Chicago, then to Metra, then to get out to a job at a clothing store in Rosemont uh, because that's where he lives, where he can afford to live, and the jobs are where the jobs are. And that's, that's an issue. But that, uh, that also brings up the issue of housing because, frankly, if he lived a little closer to Rosemont, it wouldn't be such a problem. And uh, that's something that keeps coming up now, isn't it? Uh, we About affordable housing, some, that's something that we gloss over sometimes, I think, that we just say, yes, affordable housing, good thing. It's not that easy. It's also easy to demonize or to uh, operate off of stereotypes. So, you know, let's think about what affordable housing is. It's It's when you don't exceed 30% of your income towards housing costs. And yet again here, so many residents of the region are paying 40, 50% of their income towards housing. That means they just can't make it work. Um, it is it is a, um, you know, they're set up for failure. So in every part of the region, if we want employers to succeed, they need their workers to have affordable housing nearby. And so when we look at an analysis, whether it's suburbs or city neighborhoods, we see that too often the support for affordable housing development and um, rehabilitation and, and sometimes rental assistance is clustered in particular areas. And just as your example of someone commuting from the south side um, out to the O'Hare corridor for, for work, that's not an uncommon uh, challenge if it's really difficult to get from here to there, and there is no affordable housing nearby uh, those Northwest uh, O'Hare cluster employers. That's a major jobs hub. And if we are falling short of affordable housing in those areas, uh, we're actually paying a price, all of us. That means more jobs can't come because they can't get enough workers. So sometimes people think, oh, that's housing for other people, and that I don't don't have to worry about this. If, If our economy is growing slowly, it's in part because we're not delivering on this. We're not delivering on the modernized transportation. We're not delivering on, on housing. So uh, Wednesday this week, there was a city council meeting. I know you covered it. And uh, 27 aldermen joined together to introduce uh, a new proposal on affordable housing equity. And what that says is if your neighborhood, your ward, has less than 10% affordable housing, that alderman cannot just say no I've got a brick on. I'm going to put a hold on permanently this housing development proposal that would expand affordable housing. So there have been examples of that in places very near Rosemont, um, in com- in communities um, on the northwest side, where there's uh, a a whipped up electorate 
who the louder voices in opposition tend to drown out the people who are saying, wait, I'm a senior citizen in this area. I'm a veteran. I'm a person with limited mobility. I need this housing. And if I had it, I would be able to access employment. So that idea of everyone contributing is is one that I think is has growing support. You know, if, if, if someone said, you know, this this challenge to ward control um, would get 27 aldermen signing on. I don't think people would have believed that just a few months ago, but that's where we're that's where we're at. And I think it's a very hopeful moment. But what does happen when specific proposals are put forth? I mean, people in theory support this. But when you say, all right, on this corner, we're going to put this building that houses this many people, that's when people come out and say traffic is going to be a problem. It's going to increase the density on our services and it will change the character of the neighborhood. Uh, What do you say to those people who say you're you're trying to change our neighborhood into something that it's not? You respond to stereotypes and uh, fear-based concerns with facts and with dialogue and with engagement. I truly believe that if you show people the data about what are the incomes of the people who live here today in these neighborhoods and what are the jobs paying nearby, so what, you know, what's the disconnect between that? If you show, well, this em- employee making $40,000 cannot afford the majority of the housing in this community, then, then it becomes clear that this is, this is not something that's going to uh, change the neighborhood. It's actually going to improve it because it's going to give more choices to the people who are already living there. That, as well as design of, well, what's this, what's this new building going to look like? A lot of times people have fear and images of the past that they bring in that are totally irrelevant to what the conversation is. There's beautifully designed, convenient housing, well-maintained, by transit, with amenities um, that people actually want to live in. But sometimes below the surface, there's also a dimension that, touching back on what we were talking about earlier, is race. That there's a perception that the people who want this housing aren't going to look like the other people, and they don't want to say that. That is Chicago's history. Uh, We have uh, a very deep, deeply rooted um, history, and it it goes back throughout our history. Uh, the, The story of metropolitan Chicago, particularly if you follow the Great Migration, is one of um, individuals coming from the South pursuing opportunity. And yet we then erected a whole series of legally sanctioned uh, barriers, which clustered people. And and that neighborhood changed. You know, there's many, many stories of of neighborhoods in the 60s and 70s um, flipping almost overnight from black to white. And there's neighborhoods in transition even today. So this is not a story from the past. This is this is still part of our story. If we actually open up the dialogue where people get to experience, um, for example, this folded map project, which an artist has an exhibit at the Loyola um, New um, Art Gallery, where they take a map of the city of Chicago with that street grid, and she demonstrates that the family who lives at 5500 South Halstead and 5500 North well, I guess there's not 5,500 North Halstead. Take Western mm-hmm. um, and pick, a, pick a, mirror, a mirror address. And those individuals 
maybe of different races, but they are they are so similar. They live in similar homes. They have similar concerns. And so I think we as a city need to experience each other and we need to have a conversation that's really fact-based. So many communities are more diverse already. And once you get to know your neighbor, you find that there's really not anything scary. We, if, we, if we work together on solving these solutions, we're going to have a growing, vibrant, successful region. And the only way we're going to do that is, is working together. Mary Sue Barrett, we are going to have to make sure we keep having this conversation uh, as we move on. Mary Sue is the president of the Metropolitan Planning Council. Thank you for spending this time with us. It went really quickly. (laughs) Um, uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.